were trapped in the dank darkness of a ruined plantation house. And somewhere in the pitch black room is a homicidal maniac armed with a knife, groping for you, trying to prevent your escape. Escape, produced by William N. Robeson, directed tonight by Richard Sanville, and carefully plotted to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to a deserted sand pit off the coast of Georgia, where terror stalks under the Spanish moss, as Joseph Hergesheimer tells it in Wild Oranges. What could have appeared more innocent of danger than that barren, low-lying shore of southern Georgia? What could have seemed less laden with terror than that lovely little cove so tranquil and well-sheltered, so warmly bathed in late afternoon sun as we dropped the anchor of our catch and prepared our mooring? And yet there was something. First it was an odor of a grove of wild orange trees in late bloom growing defiantly amid the tangled undergrowth of the shore. The scent was strong and exotic and heady, and as I smelled it, I felt a vague uneasiness. Then as I watched the shore and Halvard, sole member of my crew, furled the sails, the mirror of the cove was shattered by a movement. First I thought it was a fish leaping and playing in the water. Came round a spit of land from an inner bay, and then Halvard was beside me. That's queer, sir. Huh? I would have bet there was nobody within miles of here. But there's someone swimming. Huh? Yes. It's a girl. Aye. She'll be surprised when she discovers us, no doubt. <laughs> and embarrassed. Oh, she swims well, doesn't she? As if she's been born in the water. Ah, yeah. That, that she's seen us. Yes. <laughs> now she's running away. That sprint would win an Olympic race. I wonder what she's doing here, where she comes from. Perhaps there. Hmm? Where? Two to three years. There's a house. You can hardly see it. I, I spotted it a moment ago. Oh, yes, yeah, so there is. Oh, but it's a ruin. It's rotting away. No one could have lived in that since the Civil War. Well, there may be others back there. Yes, but this coast is deserted. Marked a swamp on the chart. Well, I don't know, sir. Hmm. It's strange. Very strange. Yes, it was strange. And stranger still was this vague uneasiness I felt. As twilight fell, the aroma of the wild oranges was overpowering. Suddenly, without knowing why, I slipped on a jacket, went to the side and dropped into the tender. Halvard stood by to cast off. He asked no questions, and I said nothing. <laughs> what could I say? I didn't know myself why I was going. I pulled the tender up on the soft sand of the beach and walked up a dim path through the orange grove. The scent of the blossoms was full of such wild sweetness that I picked an orange and tasted it. It was bitter, but of a pungence that was new and rare and strangely delicious. The dim moonlight only accentuated the ruin of the house. There were other smaller ramshackle buildings scattered about, overgrown with weeds and creeping vines. This had once been a great plantation. Now it lay still and lifeless. Then I saw the light. Round the side where a smaller portico held off the weeds a single doorway was framed in the pale light of an inner lamp. As I approached, I saw a shadow move across it, so swiftly, so furtively, that it was gone before I realized it had been a man. Then I saw her, sitting on the portico, rocking softly in her chair. What do you want? Uh, nothing. When I came ashore, I thought no one was living here. You're <laughs> from the white boat that sailed in at sunset? Yes, and I'm returning immediately. It was like magic. Suddenly, without a sound... You were anchored in the bay. I'd, I've robbed you, too. Some of your oranges are in my pocket. You won't like them. They've run wild. We can't sell them. They have a distinct flavor of their own. I should be glad to have some on my boat. All you want. My man will get them and pay you. Please, don't. Oh, Nicholas attends to that. Won't you sit down? My father was here when you came up, but he went in. Strangers troubled him. Why? Well, I should be getting back. I'm sorry to have disturbed you and your father. No. No, it was nothing. Good... Good night, then. Good night. That was all. 
fragment of commonplace conversation. But it was enough. Now the uneasiness I felt, the strangeness of this place took shape for me. I saw it in her lovely, fragile face. I heard it in her voice. There'd been a hidden terror, a terrible, controlled fright that approached hysteria. There'd been a warning in it, and something else, a plea. By the time I got back to the boat, I was completely unnerved, and Halbert made matters worse. You find anything, sir? There are people living there. Well, there'll be water then. Maybe we could stay here a couple of days, huh? What do you mean? Well, this is good anchorage, sir. I'd like to unship the propeller, and the topside could do with a coat of varnish. No, we're going on south. Well, aye, sir. No, no, wait, Halbert. Of course, you're right. We need a couple of days' work before we head into blue water. We'll do it here. And so we stayed. In the light of morning, the strange dread I'd felt seemed foolish, and especially when I went ashore and found the girl looking young and fresh and fragile, fishing off the little pier in the inner bay. She had a pathetic little rod and line, so... I got our tackle from the boat and landed a big rockfish for her, enough for several dinners. We were carrying the fish to the house when we came on a pale, thin ghost of a man sitting on the portico. He started a swift retreat, but too late. Father, wait. This is my father, Litchfield Stope. How do you do, sir? Millie, Millie, you all know I can't. Strangers, they... Father, you must manage yourself better. You know I wouldn't bring anyone to the house who would hurt us. And see, we are fetching you a splendid rockfish. Oh, yes. So you are. We are alone here, sir. The man is away, my daughter and I. The fish, yes, acceptable. If you will carry it in for me, Nicholas would do it, but he's away. And father isn't strong. This way. We have no ice. I must put it in water. In here, right there. Thank you. You've been very nice. Now I suppose you'll go on across the world. Not tonight. We're staying here, making repairs. Where do you come from? And where are you going? From Cape Cod. I'm going to the Guianas. Isn't that South America? I've traveled far on maps. I was born here in this house, and I've never been 50 miles away. Oh, well, that's incredible. You seem like a girl who's been everywhere in the world and had the best education, everything. My father has many books in there, that's all. You... Your eyes are remarkable. Gray-green, like olive leaves, and magnetic. I, I... I came ashore to ask you if you had a large water supply and if I might fill my casks. Of course. Rainwater, the cistern's full. I'll send my man Halbert, then. Yes. There... There's something else in your eyes, in your voice. What is it? Fear? Fear? Why, no, of course not. What should I be afraid of? I don't know. But I saw it in your father's face, too. It's only your imagination. Yes. Yes, no doubt. Goodbye, then. Thank you for the fishing. Strange how this girl should upset me so. I tried to resist, but that evening I found myself going back to her. Tying the tender to the little pier, I watched as she came to meet me. I'm glad you came. The fish way... Oh, don't tell me. I'd rather not know. I might be tempted to mention it in the future, and I'm sure it would sound like a fish story. <laughs> but it was imposing. Nicholas waited. He's our man. He's back. Let's stay here, by the sea. It's so lovely in the moonlight. All right. Oh, it is nice here. I lied to you today. About fear. I suppose I am afraid. I suppose my father has passed some of his fear on to me. Why is he afraid? Well, that's a long story, going back to the first war. Please, tell me. Well, he was a young man then, and he didn't go to war. It wasn't that he was a coward, exactly. He just couldn't adjust to it, mentally. People mocked him, laughed at him, and threatened him. That's when a sort of perpetual fear started. He ran away. He met my mother and married her. They came here. None of us has ever left this lonely place. Never will, perhaps. Your mother? She's dead. Loneliness killed her. Perhaps it's no wonder that I sound timid or afraid. 
Perhaps I am. Aren't you lonely, too? I don't know anything else. But what about you? Who are you that you go sailing about the world with only your sailor for company? Oh, I'm, I'm nobody. My name is John Woolfolk. And you do nothing but sail about the world? Nothing. Why? Well, let's say I don't like modern society. Let's say I, I don't like entanglements. I see. Oh, I, I didn't mean... You needn't apologize. I envy you your freedom. I sit here a great deal and watch the ships far out there on their water roads. You are enviable. Sailing where you like. Safe and free. Safe and free. There is something more than you've told me. More behind this fear in your voice. No. But perhaps I can help. No. No, please. What's that? It's Nicholas. Blowing on the conch. I've got to go in. I'll come with you. No. No, please. No, don't come. You'll be going soon. Tomorrow, perhaps. Then, goodbye. Goodbye. Now I knew the terror I'd only sensed was real. This girl was possessed by fear. This house held some terrible secret. What could it be? Next morning, Halbert suggested we repaint the engines, and I agreed. We'd stay another day or two. Later, Halford went in to fill a cask of water. He came back without the cask and livid with rage. There was an idiot in that house. Next time, I'll take the pistol. What do you mean? Where's the cask? It was broken. How? It was filling it at the cistern, and this idiot, a huge hulking brute, came out of the house. He told me to get away. Well, I tried to explain that we had permission, but he came at me with a knife, gibbering. Well, I hit him, but it was like hitting an ox. He put his foot on the cask and crushed it. I'll see about this. Uh, you be careful, sir. The man's not right. He's dangerous. Plenty dangerous. I went ashore and around to the back door of the house. Millie wasn't in sight, and when I knocked, a lumbering giant with pig-like eyes came to the door. What do you want? I take it you're Nicholas, the man who broke my water cask. It was full of our water. I'm not going to argue with you. I came ashore to instruct you to keep your hands off my property and my sailor. Let our water be. I told you I wouldn't discuss the matter. I don't have to justify myself to you. Just remember, keep your hands don't off. Get me started. What do Listen, you mean, started? You I... Don't get me started. Mind, I warned you. Put, and don't put get down me started. that knife. Go away now. Don't get me started. Stand Go back. away. Don't get me started. I'm telling Nicholas. you. Nicholas, stop. What is this? What's the matter? Nothing. Nicholas and I have had a little misunderstanding, that's all. Yeah. It's nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about, I said. But when I got back to the boat, I couldn't help asking myself why I'd left her with that brute. I just about made up my mind to go ashore again to check up when I saw her waving on the beach. She wanted to visit the boat. I went and got her. There was no hint of terror in her face now, just shining girlish wonderment at the polished metal and the gleaming wood of the catch. I offered to take her for a sail, and her face lighted up like a child's. But when we reached the heavy swells outside the reef, her face got white, and she froze. It's... it's so big. Are you frightened? I'll turn back. I'd rather you didn't. I must learn. I'm not a child. No, we're going back. Before we got to the anchorage, her panic was almost out of control. But safely moored once more, she calmed slowly and said... How strange... To be forced back to this place I loathe by my own cowardice. It's not cowardice. The sea is frightening to those unused to it. Come, you must forget it now. Halvard will have tea for us in a moment. Uh, how do you like our boat? It's quite wonderful. Have you nothing else to care for? No place or people on land? None. And you are satisfied? Hardly. All the things most men value were taken from me in an instant. Can you talk about it? Why, well, I, I haven't for 12 years. Not to anybody, but... Now? Yes, I, I think I can. You see, we were just married. Only a few days. And we were very, very happy. Then, in one instant, she was dead. It was a silly, stupid accident thrown from a horse without rhyme or reason. So you left everything taking your revenge on the world. You could put it that way, I suppose. 
I simply don't want to take a second chance to become involved and be hurt. But that's living, to be hurt. Do you think you can escape so easily? I don't know. Oh, I must go. Uh, father will be waiting. Why so suddenly? There's... Oh, yes, I see. That's Nicholas on the beach looking out here, isn't it? Yes, dinner will be ready. Why do you have a servant like that? That man's dangerous. You mustn't say that. Please don't. Just take me in, please. Now I knew that she too was afraid of Nicholas. I could see it in her eyes. Why then did I let her go to him? I don't know. I was confused, I guess. That night a storm broke, a raging wind and rain, and to match my tortured mood. I hardly slept, her face was always before my eyes, and by morning I knew that I must do something. I rode the tender in through a drizzling rain. I went up through the orange grove and stopped in the bushes by the house. Someone was coming out of the house, and I crouched down out of sight. It was Millie. I rose and called her. Millie! Oh, it's you. I was just coming out to look. I was afraid you'd gone out. The sea is like a pack of wolves. I won't go alone, not without you. What are you saying? That's madness. No, I, I've got to talk to you, Millie. Uh, there's a lot that needs explaining. Things that I have a right to no. know. No, not here. Come. She led me into one of the smaller ruined buildings, what must have been a store in the days of the great plantation. We crouched far back in the dripping shadows of a corner. No. Millie. Millie, I love you. For the first time in 12 years, I'm living again, and I love you. I know nothing of love. It's easily learned. Well, perhaps if things were different, someplace else, I might care very much. Then I'm going to take you away someplace else, make things different, give you the chance. No, it's too late. You came too late. Why, Millie, why? What is it? What is it you fear? Nicholas. Oh... He's nothing. Nothing to be afraid of. Has he been bothering you? He says he's crazy about me. He says I must marry him. Where is he now? No, you mustn't, John. Something frightful would happen. Not frightful, just unfortunate for Nicholas. You don't understand. He's not, not human. There's something about him. What about him? He came here in April. We were glad to get him. Servants are impossible to get back here in the wilderness. He would work for the smallest wages. Only a few days ago, I found out why he was glad to be here. I was cleaning his room, and I found this. Let's see. Wanted for murder. Iskan Nicholas. Homicidal maniac. He knows I found it. He knows. And he's been furious. Then you came, and he ran and hid in the pines. But he told me if I spoke about it, then it would happen to me. And if I left with you, it would happen to father. You see, he thinks I'm in love with you. He told me to send you away. He said you must leave today. Millie, I should have realized. He says I must not be away for longer than an hour. I must go. Look, Millie, it'll take us a couple of hours to get the boat ready. I'll come for you tonight at 8. Now, tell him you saw me and I promised to go and act quietly. Say you, well, say you've been upset. You'll give him his answer tomorrow. Then at 8, bring your father and walk out to the wharf. That's all but do it without hesitation or preparation. Oh, don't let him hurt us. Oh, please, don't. Not now. He's finished, Millie. But do as I say. It won't be long, hardly three hours, and then freedom. Now that I knew, now that there was to be action, I felt better. Halvard and I got the catch ready for sailing, and eight o'clock we tied it up to the little pier, the storm had abated slightly, but it was still raining. I got up on the dock and waited for Millie. Ten minutes passed. Then twenty. Something was wrong. I told Halbert to wait there with the tender. Then I walked slowly up to the house. It was dark. I went up to the side portico to the heavy door. A tiny crack of light showed under it. I pushed it open. The light came from a parlor to the right. I looked in. On the floor lay a body. Old Litchfield Stope, he was dead, crushed. His arm twisted grotesquely under him. There was not a sound in the house. Slowly I walked through the downstairs rooms. Nothing. And back in the hall I heard a slight creak. Upstairs, someone had moved. 
Was it Millie, alive? Or Nicholas, lying in wait? I groped slowly up the stairs. I dared not use my flashlight. It would have made me a target for his knife. The upstairs hall was pitch black, and still there was no sound. I inched my way along the wall, slowly. Then I stumbled on a loose board. The pistol flew out of my hand, but the stumble saved my life. The same instant I felt Nicholas lunge, heard the knife sing past my ear and thud into the wall, felt his great bulk smashing on my shoulders. My gun was somewhere on the dark floor. His knife was embedded in the wall. Now we were grappling hand to hand, rolling on the floor, kicking, tearing, gouging, crushing. My strength and wit against the massive bulk of a maniacal killer. I... How many minutes did that unequal struggle last? I, I don't know. It seemed an hour. Several times, as if by common consent, we rested for minutes at a time, locked in tight embrace. Once we rolled apart and lay panting, the breath aching in my throat. Then I heard him groping along the wall, searching for the knife or the gun. I threw myself on him again, but he was too big, too furious. I felt my strength ebbing away. His fingers were closing over my throat. With one last effort, I tried to throw him off to roll him off. I, I staggered dazedly to my feet and looked up. He'd fallen through the banister down the stairwell. Nicholas had landed on the bottom. He lay there on the stairs, sprawled, his head at a grotesque angle. But he was not dead, only stunned. I leaned against the wall, looked at him stupidly. There was something, there was something I was trying to remember. What was it? Then she came down the steps and I remembered. Millie. I had to walk right past him. There was no other way. Right past his head and my skirt. I think we'd better go away. It's quite impossible here with him in the hall. We have to pass so close. Millie, yes, we'll leave at once. I must tell you about my father. You know, in Virginia, the woman tied an apron on the door because he would not go to war, and that preyed on his mind, and he was afraid of the slightest thing. Yes, yes, I know, but we must go. Things upset him so. He had no strength. To hear him talk he, like he this, like a sick child, was almost more than I could bear. I but now I heard something. Nicholas had gotten up. He stood there and stared for a moment at us. Then he started slowly up the stairs. He was going for the then knife. This little thing upsets him. Millie, but we've got to go. I was to meet a man. We were going away someplace where it'd be peaceful. He said at eight o'clock. But Nicholas suspected, you see. He asked why Father had put on his heavy winter clothes. Then when I tried to go out, he pushed me. Millie. And do you know what Father did then? He came up and he said, Don't do that. Take your hands off my daughter. His lips shook a little, but he said it. That's the important thing. Yes, yes, of course. Your father was a brave man after all. Now come, that man is waiting for you. There's no time to lose. Father said, take your hands off my daughter. Nicholas killed him, of course. Crushed him like a little mosquito. But it was a brave thing to do. I couldn't wait any longer. I had to risk whatever injury it might do to her mind. I could hear Nicholas coming back. I swept her up in my arms and carried her out into the night, down the path to the little pier. Behind me, I could hear Nicholas crashing through the brush like a giant animal in pursuit. Are you all right, sir? Yes, but done in, but all right. Here, help me get her in the boat. Yes, sir. There. Yeah. Somebody's coming. It's Nicholas. He's got a knife. Good. They wanted to get back at him. You get in, sir. I'll take care of him. Albert went to intercept Nicholas on the path. I heard them meet and struggle for a moment. Then a stooped figure came walking slowly onto the pier. I prepared to shove the boat out into the water and then... All right, sir. It's me. Oh, Halbert. Where's Nicholas? They stopped him. He was all pumped out. Are you hurt? No, just a scratch. They missed his knife at first in the dark. It's nothing. Good. Let's get away from here then. I held Millie in my arms as Halbert rode to the catch erratically, I suppose, because of the storm. We were ready to cast off in two minutes. The last obstacle would be the narrow passing out of the cove. In this storm, it would be dangerous, very dangerous. I started to take Millie into the cabin. No! There's Nicholas! In the doorway! Nonsense! Nicholas is dead! You're on my boat, Millie! You're safe, Millie! Safe? With... 
John Woolfolk? I am John Woolfolk. But he... You didn't come. Yes, I did, Millie. And you're safe. Come. I want to stay here. All right. You sit here beside Halvard. I'm going up front to take soundings. In this van, you won't be able to hear me if I call. No, but you can hear me. Remember, we've only three feet clearance. You'll have to hold it steady through the passage. Oh, I'll manage it. Halvard, this is no time for pretense. How do you feel? All right. I've taken knives before. Just to scratch. All right, we'll fix it as soon as we get outside. Now let's go. Turn over the engines, pull up anchor. The boat headed into the tearing wind of the storm, sped swiftly toward the narrow inlet. A foot too far on either side and we would hit. In this sea, that would mean death for us all. I stood far up on the bow, taking soundings, feeling out the passage. Four! The howling wind carried my call back to Halvard. The boat veered. I realized he must have lost a lot of blood. Halvard! Halvard, steady her! Slowly, haltingly, it came around. Three and a half! Steady now! But it was anything but steady. The boat waved and swung as if an amateur hand were on the wheel. In a moment, we might hit. Three and a quarter! We're in the passage. Hold steady, Halbert! Steady! For just another moment! Just one moment! Three and a half! We're through! Good boy, Halbert! Good boy, Halbert, I called. But when I went back and... It was not Halvard at the wheel. It was Millie. Millie, her hands steady, her eyes washed clear of any madness. Millie with a tight little smile on her face, but no fear. And Halvard lay rolling with the swells in the bottom of the cockpit. I'm afraid he's dead, John. He was wounded worse than you thought. Halvard dead? He told me to take the wheel. Said it was life or death. Then he slid down like that. When? When was this? Back there in the passage. Just when you said three and a half. I'm afraid I wasn't very good. But I held on. Oh, Millie. You were wonderful. No. Not yet. But I'll learn, John. I'll learn. <laughs> Escape is produced by William N. Robson and was directed tonight by Richard Sanville. You have just heard Wild Oranges by Joseph Hergesheimer, adapted for radio by John Dunkel, with Paul Fries as John Woolfolk, Jeanette Nolan as Millie Stopes, Bill Conrad as Halvard, Jack Crucian as Nicholas, and Sherry Hall as Litchfield Stopes. The special musical score was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhrer. Next week... You've planned it very well. She's dead, and you feel no remorse. Your escape has worked out perfectly. There's nothing to worry about, except perhaps an unexpected Christmas present. Next week, we escape with John Collier's grim story, Back for Christmas. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. We'll return to Escape Theater right after this message from our sponsors. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
And now, back to our show. You are trapped in the dark cellar of your home. Beside you is the murdered body of your wife. And above at the front door are your friends looking for you, tracking you down, cutting off your escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to a university town in England and a household where hate holds sway as we listen to John Collier's famous story, Back for Christmas. Yes, my dear. What on earth are you doing down here in the cellar? Why, just a little digging. And why, may I ask, have you chosen this day of all days to dig up the cellar floor? Why, I thought as the weather has been so damp, this would be an excellent time to plant my devil's garden. Devil's garden? Whatever nonsense is that? Oh, that's my little joke about it. You see, I've managed to secure some of the spores of several unclassified wild orchids. In their natural state, they bloom under damp masses of leaf mold. The Oracanian Indians call them devil flowers because they appear to bloom under the ground. Well, I'm sure the Oracanian Indians will be very interested if you succeed in growing these ridiculous flowers under the cellar floor. Whom else it'll interest, I can't imagine. What's that terrible smell? Why, that's the leaf mold, my dear. Chemically identical with the earth blanket they grow under in the wild state. I really should line the pit with concrete so as to prevent seepage from this foreign soil. But I don't suppose there'll be time for it now. There certainly will not be time for it. Do you realize that we're sailing for America a week from today and you've made no arrangements whatever? Unless you call digging a hole in the cellar making arrangements. I certainly don't. Devil's garden indeed. Sometimes I think you're going soft in the head, Herbert. Well, I suppose it's inconsiderate of me. But you see, I've been wanting to try this experiment for a long time. But what with my lectures and seminars at the university, there never seemed to be time. Well, there certainly isn't any time for it now. I suppose you've forgotten I made an appointment for you at the barber's this afternoon. Oh, must I shave off my beard, Hermione? Now, we've been all through that. Of course you must. They don't wear beards in America. Go and get your jacket on and do as I tell you. Yes, Hermione. And don't forget to take your umbrella. It looks like rain. Yes, Hermione. Oh, don't look so put upon, Herbert. Someone has to plan things in this house, or you'd never even get to the university in time for your lectures, much less make arrangements for a trip to America. I know, but what of my specimens? There'll be plenty of time to plant your precious devil's garden when you get home from America. We're not going to be gone forever, you know. We'll be back here for Christmas. Yes, of course. Back for Christmas. I'd forgotten. Well, try to remember it. And if you can't do that, just do as I tell you. I've been making the plans in this house for 20 years. And if there's any digging to be done, I'll manage that as well. You understand, Herbert? Yes, Hermione. Good. You have just 20 minutes to clean this mess up down here and keep your appointment at the barber's. And when you finish there, I want you to come straight home. Well, I, I wanted to stop at Miss Markham's and pick up some books I ordered. Well... All right. But don't loiter there the whole afternoon, browsing over those old books the way you usually do. Now hurry and clear up this rubbish. Get rid of that smelly stuff. And no more digging, mind you. Yes, Hermione. Yes, Hermione. How many years have I been saying that? Ten years? Fifteen? Twenty? Clear up the rubbish. Yes, Hermione. Don't forget your umbrella. Yes, Hermione. Do this, do that. Yes, Hermione. Yes, yes, yes. How much longer can I stand this? Oh, 
evening, sir. Good evening, Miss Markham. Why, it's Professor Carpenter, isn't it? You didn't recognize me. Oh, you look ever so much younger without the beard. Twenty years at least. Twenty years? Oh, you'll be glad to know those books you ordered have finally arrived. Hmm? Books? Phytotomy of phalloid gametophytes and coniferous shrubs of North America. Those are the ones you ordered, aren't they? Oh, yes, yes, thank you. You're very kind, Miss Markham. Why kind, Professor Carpenter? Well, not many young ladies in bookshops would go out of their way to look up rare books for an old professor of botany. Oh, why, you're not old, Professor Carpenter. Really, you look... Oh, and besides, I adore botany. It's my particular hobby. Oh, really? Well, you never told me that before, Miss Markham. Oh, I was afraid to. You were so... Oh, so imposing with a beard and all. Well, I... You might be interested in some specimens of alpine polyanthes that were sent to me by a friend in Switzerland. Switzerland? I used to go there for my holidays before the war. You like Switzerland? Oh, I love every part of it. The lakes, the mountains, the beautiful spring flowers. Oh, especially the flowers. Oh, yes. It seems we have quite a lot in common, Miss Markham. I'm, I'm sorry we haven't talked before. Oh, I am too. <laughs> it is all the fault of the beard, I suppose. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Markham, forgive me if this sounds foolish, but I feel that shaving off my beard is the most important thing I've done for 20 years. Oh, it is. I'm sure it is. I'm ashamed that I've been so distant with you all the time. Oh, there were times when I almost spoke up. Times when you came in here, tired after day with your students at the university. Oh, you seem so alone. The way I'm alone in the world. I'd like to have asked you to stay a while and talk with me. But some way or other, I, I wound up giving you your change and letting you go on your way. You... You say you're all alone in the world? Since my father died. Well... Did you never think of marrying? Oh, my father was a very remarkable man. I never found anyone who, who seemed to measure up to what he led me to expect of men. And then the war came... Miss Markham, oh, I... It, it's been so long since anyone called me by my first name. I'd like you to, if you don't mind. It's Marion. Marion. And yours? It... Herbert. How long had you been alone, Herbert? Uh, alone? Oh, I knew you were a widower, of course, the first time I saw you. A widower? Oh, I can always tell. There's a certain sadness in a man's eyes. A sweet sadness, I think, when he's been married and then... A widower? I never thought of it in quite that way. Oh, perhaps I shouldn't be talking like this. But... I've often wondered what she must have been like. Your wife, I mean. Hermione? Hmm. Not an easy woman to forget. Very strong, always managing things. The house, my wardrobe, my friends. When we dined at a restaurant, she even ordered my food. She was always managing things. You might say she managed herself to death. Oh, poor woman. She must have loved you very much. But she needn't have put herself out so. It's plain to see you don't need things managed for you. You need companionship, I think. Someone sympathetic with your work. <laughs> but the last thing on earth you need is a manager. How well you put it. The last thing on earth. <laughs> That's the first time I thought of it, of course. But suddenly a whole new world opened up before my eyes. Marion and America and no more of Hermione's planning my life for me. By the time I got home, my mind was working overtime. Well, at last. You certainly took long enough about it. What are you looking so pleased about? I don't really know. Getting rid of the beard, perhaps. I feel 20 years younger. You look even smaller. Your face looks triangular or something. I'd forgotten your chin was so weak. Oh, but never mind that. You can grow it back soon enough, after Christmas. Where are you going? Down to the cellar. 
I just bought this electric lantern and I thought I'd put it away down there. Now, whatever possessed you to buy a thing like that? I don't know. I'd rather like this lantern. Might come in handy. Who knows? Now, Herbert, don't start digging down there again. I have a hundred things to do putting the house in order before we leave. I want you to carry these boxes upstairs for me. Yes, Hermione. And if you're going down to the cellar, take this along and stuff it into the furnace. But this is my old bathrobe. I may need it. Oh, nonsense. I've bought you a new one. Get rid of it. And don't start puttering down there with that devil's garden or whatever you call it. I'm through digging, my dear. I think the pit is quite deep enough now for my devil's garden. It would all have to be carefully planned, of course. Just as carefully planned as Hermione was planning the trip to America. We both went about our respective engagements as the days passed. I spent all the time I could with Marion, and finally she consented. And then it was the last day, the big day, the day we were to sail for America. Operator, operator, are you there? I'm still waiting on that call to Salisbury. Oh, well, put them on quickly. Hello, is this Paul Holt and Sons? Mrs. Herbert Carpenter here. Did you receive my letter? Oh, good. Now, remember, we'll be back for Christmas, and I want the job done without fail. What's that? Oh, no, I'm sure he doesn't suspect anything. Send the bill to me in New York as I instructed you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, there you are, Herbert. Where have you been? Back stairs. I dismissed the servants. Dismissed the servants? But I've asked some friends in to a farewell tea. Go and tell them it's a mistake. I'm afraid it's too late now. They've packed and gone. Oh, you have messed up things properly. How many times have I told you to leave things to me? I make the plans around here. Yes, Hermione. You'll have to do better than this when I plan the trip home, or we'll never in the world be back for Christmas. Back for Christmas, back for Christmas. Must you keep saying that? Well, why not? We are coming back for Christmas, aren't we? Supposing I were offered a professorship in one of those wealthy American universities. <laughs> Nonsense. Americans care nothing for botany. Luther Burbank was an American. Well, that's different. What have you ever done except muck around in the dirt with a lot of roots and tubers? They've asked me to lecture. That means something. Of course they asked you to lecture. Americans are paid to hear any foreigner deliver a lecture once. Now, there's no use getting yourself in a state about this, Herbert. No doubt this extra money will come in very handy when we arrive back, back for, for Christmas. Christmas. Precisely. And it's no good you're making a joke of it. Heaven knows where you'd be today if I hadn't got a sense of time. Yes, my dear Hermione. And since you've been so foolish as to dismiss the servants, you may empty the ashtrays and straighten up this room while we're waiting for the guests to arrive. I'm going upstairs to change. Call me when they get here. Yes, Hermione. Yes, Hermione, yes, Hermione. For 20 years, Hermione, always so right, thought of everything. Well, not quite everything. She's dressing now. Safe to call Marion. Oh, if Marion were to change her mind now, if she had any idea, I was not a widower. Hello. Hello, Marion. Herbert. No. No, my darling. Nothing's wrong. My plans are the same. Unless you've changed. Good. We'll meet in New York as we planned. Yes, yes, I do love you, my darling. Herbert! I'm sorry, I can't talk any longer. Yes, I, I'll meet you in New York a week from tomorrow without fail. It, goodbye till then. Herbert, were you talking on the phone just now? Yes, Hermione. Whoever was it? Uh, Freddy. Freddy Sinclair, of course. Oh, didn't I hear you say something about meeting somebody in New York? Why, yes. Old Freddy said he might possibly get out to America before we leave, and I said, of course, we'd meet him there if he decides to go. That seems very peculiar. But then all of your friends are peculiar. Yes, Hermione. And just look at your jacket. Have you been digging in that cellar again? Yes, Hermione. Well, there's no need for it. You can't possibly get that devil's garden thing finished. Go and change your clothes before the guests arrive. Yes, Hermione. Oh, never mind. I see somebody coming up the walk now. Go and let them in. Yes, Hermione. Herbert. Hmm? Yes, my dear. Look out the window. There's Professor and Mrs. Hewitt. But who's that with them? Why, I... I... Precisely. 
Freddie Sinclair. Peculiar. You should have been talking to him on the phone not three minutes ago. And now here he is. Yes. Yes, isn't it? Uh, but then, as you say, Hermione, all of my friends are peculiar. Not half so peculiar as you. Digging in the cellar an hour before we leave for America. Just look at yourself. And now that I think of it... Yes, Hermione? Oh, never mind. Go and let them in. You were going to ask me something, Hermione. But the hole I'm digging in the cellar. Oh, good heavens. Stop rolling your eyes about that way. One would think you were digging a grave down there instead of a storage bin. Yes, Hermione. What's that? I said yes, Hermione. Oh, bother. Open the door and stop saying yes, Hermione. I think, my dear, I've said it for the last time. Back for Christmas. Hermione was so positive we would be back for Christmas. That last afternoon, pouring tea for a few friends who had come in to say last-minute farewells, she kept reiterating... Oh, I promise you, Mrs. Hewitt. Remember, we absolutely must have you with us for Christmas. Oh, we'll be back. It's not absolutely certain, of course. Herbert, what do you mean, it's not certain? Of course it's certain. <laughs> After all, Herbert, old boy, you've contracted to lecture for only three months. Quite right, but then, of course, anything may happen. Oh, Herbert adores being unpredictable. Now, what other man would dig a great hole in the cellar on the very day he was leaving for America? A hole in the cellar? <laughs> yes. He's going to put some unclassified wild orchids down there. A devil's garden, if you please. <laughs> Sounds mysterious. That's Herbert. Though he's really quite simple once you find out what he's up to. Now, take that telephone call he put through to you a few moments before you arrive, Freddy. Uh, to me? Yes. Herbert wanted to surprise me about your plan to meet us in New York next month. <laughs> That's why he called, of course, to ask you not to mention it. But, my dear Hermione, Herbert couldn't possibly have telephoned me within the past hour. I've been walking in the park since three. He didn't telephone you? Well, how could he? And as for my going to America... Oh, no. <laughs> come, come, Freddy. <laughs> You may as well own up. Hermione has found me out again. But Herbert, old chap, I, I really don't there. understand. There. You see what a poor liar Herbert makes. He's red as a beetroot. <laughs> Aren't you ashamed of yourself, Professor? Stringing poor Hermione along like that. And as for you, Freddy, I'm furious you said nothing to us about going to America. But look here, old girl. I've been trying to tell everyone that I have oh, no... Oh, stuff and nonsense. The game's gone on long enough. Perhaps Herbert's merely planning a surprise for me. Yes, let's leave it at that, my dear. Well, we must start getting ready. It was marvellous of you to come in to say goodbye. And don't worry about Herbert's little jokes. <laughs> I will bring him back for Christmas. You may rely on it. They all believed her. For years, she'd been promising me for dinner parties, garden parties, committees. And the promises had always been kept. This time, they wouldn't be. I'd seen to that. The servants were gone for good, the farewells all said. I had timed to the minute how long it would take to fill in the hole in the cellar, in my devil's garden. Upstairs in the bedroom, I undressed, folded my clothes over a chair and put on my old bathrobe. Then I opened the door into Hermione's room. Are you ready, Herbert? Hmm. Hermione, have you a moment to spare? Of course, my dear, I've just finished. Then do come in here for a moment. Uh, there's something rather extraordinary here. Good heavens, Herbert, what are you lounging about in that filthy old bathrobe for? I told you to put it into the furnace. I shall do it today, yes. I really will, I, I promise. Well, high time. Now, what is it you want to show me? In the bathroom here. Just look. Who in the world do you suppose dropped a gold chain down the bathtub drain? Nobody has, of course. Nobody wears such a thing in this house. Then what's it doing there? I don't see anything. Well, here. I'll hold this flashlight for you. If you lean right over, you can see it shining deep down. Oh, such a lot of nonsense. Just wizard. I don't see it, Herbert. Go on looking, Hermione. In just a moment. Herbert, I absolutely refuse <gasps> to wait. Herbert, what are you doing? Take your hands off my neck. I will, Hermione, just as soon as I've finished the arrangements for my trip to America. What are you talking about? You thought you were the only one who could plan things, didn't you, Hermione? Well, I've been making some plans of my own this past week. In exactly two minutes, you'll be dead, Hermione. Oh. You see, two minutes. I've planned it very accurately. You'll never get away with it. Let me go. I thought you'd say that, but I will get away with it. You won't mind the smell of the leaf mold down in the cellar when I take you there today. Yes. That's where you're going, Hermione. Into my devil's garden that annoyed you so much. Oh. 
The soil is full of clay. It won't settle too much. In a month or so, it won't even look as if it had been dug up. But my friends, they all expect me back for Christmas. <laughs> if they don't hear from me, they'll wonder. And if I don't come back, they'll start asking questions. Oh, no, they won't. Because you'll write them letters, Hermione. On the typewriter, as you always do. They'll be signed H in that neat, cryptic way you always sign your notes to your friends. Let me no. It won't work, Herbert. You never were any good at planning things. Oh, but I've changed, my dear. I've learned from watching you all these years. The lecture people in America, they, they'll expect you to be traveling with your wife. I will be traveling with my wife. But her name will not be Hermione. Rose. Fortunately, they've never met you. I'll write a few letters home for you. Then fewer and fewer. Write letters signed with my own name. Always expecting to get back, but never quite able to. I'll keep the house one year and then another and another. They'll get used to it. I might even come back alone in a year or two and clear it up properly. Say you died in America. <laughs> Nobody will ever suspect you're lying under the floor of the cellar in this very house. Oh, but it won't work, I tell you. That pit you dug in the cellar, I'm... Gonna... I can assure you, my dear Hermione, it'll serve its purpose well. <laughs> Sorry, my dear. I've got to get this done on schedule. You have just five seconds to say your prayers. Herbert, you must listen. The cellar. <laughs> Don't do it, Herbert. Herbert. Yeah. <laughs> water cut off at the main as I knew she would order it. She was so thorough, but so was I. Strangulation. Nothing to wash up. The electric current shut off exactly at one o'clock, just as she ordered it. She thought of everything. So did I. My nice new electric lantern. Plenty of light to work by in the cellar. The old bathrobe she wanted me to throw away came in handy now if there should be any chance bloodstain. Then into the fire with it afterwards, the last evidence of my devil's garden. It was going well. Still an hour till I had to leave for the boat. The hold was almost filled. No. Oh, no, not now. Go away, please, whoever you are, go away. Did I lock the front door? If it's the Wallingfords... Oh, no, no. Go away. Go away. I say, Herbert, old thing. Just keep calm, quiet. They won't look down in the cellar. Keep calm. They'll go away. Where the dickens can they be? Oh, because they are. Maybe they popped round to Liddell. Oh, we must think. Oh, the shops, maybe. Attempting at the last minute. Oh, not Hermione. Uh, shall I shout? Oh, don't. Might not be Chester. No harm in a shout, my love. No, let's come in on our way back. Hermione said they wouldn't leave till Chester. Oh, all right. Only I want a last drink with old Herbert. He'd be hurt, you know. All right, let's hurry. We can be back by half past six. Half past six. There's still time. After that, it was easy. Put the finishing touches on the devil's garden, dress fast, get out of the house before 6.30, take the boat trade to Southampton and board the ship for America. All according to plan. Hermione's plan. I say, Stuart. Uh, right, sir. Uh, my wife is indisposed. She'll be taking her meals in our stateroom. Oh, for, for, for the old voyage? Yes, for the whole voyage. Well, I trust your wife is feeling better this morning, Professor Carpenter. Uh, yes, a little. Not yet well enough to leave her cabin. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, by the way, uh, here's a copy of the radiogram you sent for your wife last evening. Oh? Oh, thank you. I'll just check it over. Hmm. I say, look here. What is it? Did the typist make a mistake? Uh, no. No, nothing important. She can correct it later. For a moment, I had the feeling that Hermione had been leaning over my shoulder again, correcting what I'd written, as she always did. I had written a radiogram to Professor Hewitt and his wife. Haven't been out of my cabin the whole beastly trip. Herbert, well, we now doubt we will be back for Christmas. The copy read, we no doubt will be back for Christmas. Exactly what Hermione would have written. The rest of the voyage was uneventful, and Marion and I met in New York and were married just as we'd planned. Just as we'd planned.
Professor and Mrs. Carpenter, we, we have reservations, I believe. Oh, yes, we've been expecting you, sir. Boy, take Professor and Mrs. Carpenter's luggage up to their suite. You know, Mrs. Carpenter, you're quite a surprise. Your letter reserving the rooms was so uh, thorough. I was expecting an older, more forbidding sort of person, frankly, ma'am. Oh, no. As a matter of fact, we're just married. But my letter reserving the rooms... Uh, I wrote the letter, my dear, and signed it Mrs. Herbert Carpenter. Purely a joke. Oh, what a cunning old fox you are, Herbert. Now that I think of it, I am, rather. Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, there's a letter for you, Mrs. Carpenter. A letter for me? I wonder who knows. Well, we shall find out in good time. Come along, my dear. We're keeping the boy waiting. Nothing like a cold, brisk shower to put a man to rights. Herbert, this letter. Uh, oh, yes, the letter. Uh, dry my hair, will you, dear? It seems to be a bill of some sort. From a building contract in Salisbury. Mm. <laughs> oh, bother. Dry your own hair. Oh, thank you, my sweet. Uh, let's see this bill or whatever it is. It's very puzzling. Herbert. Hmm? You were a widower, weren't you? I mean, Hermione isn't still alive. I can assure you she is not. Uh, let's have that letter. Hmm. Dear madam, this is to acknowledge your order together with the key... Together with the keys to your house in Launston Place. Our men had no difficulty in finding the place where your husband had begun the excavation in the cellar, but apparently changed his mind at the last moment and filled it in again. Oh, no. What is it, Herbert? Our men will begin digging tomorrow, and you may rest assured that it will be a professional job and will be completed in ample time for your surprise Christmas present to your husband. We are happy to be conspirators with you in this thoughtful gesture and hope that Professor Carpenter will be pleased at the results of our work on what he so quaintly calls his devil's garden. Very truly yours, Paul Holton's son's contractors. What does it mean, Herbert? It means that Hermione was right. I will be back for Christmas. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson and tonight brought you Back for Christmas by John Collier. Adapted for radio by Robert Tallman, with Paul Fries as Herbert, Eleanor Audley as Hermione, and Marta Mitrovich as Marion. Music is conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhrer. Next week... You are lost in a London fog, exhausted and frantic, unsure if the figures looming around you are real or creatures of your fear, and behind you, pursuing you, intent on killing you lurks a murderer from whom you must escape. Next week, we escape with Algernon Blackwood's ghostly story, Confession. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. fog, uncertain whether the figures looming around you are real or creatures of your imagination, and somewhere in the wet grayness lurks a murderer from whom you must escape.
Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a fog-shrouded city and the terror of a shell-shocked mind, as Algernon Blackwood describes them in his ghostly story, Confession. There was no doubt about it. The woman was dead. Her cheek was cold to my touch. The head of the long, sharp hat pen protruded from her breast above the heart. She was dead. Murdered. And I stood there by the bed, my brain whirling crazily. I was alone in an empty house with a murdered woman 